sens que Look at Mike's shoes. Killing the game. Mm. That man works part-time for the FDA Food and Drug Administration. Always clean. Always fresh. Them shoes is ridiculous. Man, oh man, y'all don't know what y'all missing. Indeed, happy Mother's Day. I do want to say one thing, though. Mother's Day for all people is not always a celebratory thing. There are people who have difficult relationships with their moms or their mom is not here. And I want to say to those of you to not let today be a deterrent from who you are, what you're doing in your life, or the memories that may affect you in negative ways, is that this, regardless, especially if you're a believer, regardless as to the type of relationship you may or may not have had with your mom, God has always been your father. And that doesn't always translate sometimes in terms of these types of holidays and, and sort of what you're supposed to feel, and that's just the reality. That not every, every mom, to be honest, just hasn't done right by her children. And that's just the reality that we live in. So we do celebrate motherhood and those moms who have invested in their children. But there are also people who feel the weight of a day like today. And we just want you to know that we care about you. We're willing to pray for you if there's any struggles related to your relationship with your mom. This may not be a celebratory day today, and we don't want to be insensitive to that reality. Lastly, I want to say two moms, particularly those who have, who have raised their children, who are raising their children, but who have raised their children, particularly in the faith, and the children aren't walking in the faith the way that you had hoped. And for many of those moms, these are the women who they've given birth to these children, they've, they've invested, they've prayed for, they've cried for, they've watched so many things happen. And so while today, Mother's Day is a, is a great day on one level, it can also be a source of reflection where you start to evaluate sort of the things that you wish you had done differently. And I just want to tell you today, if you are a mom and, and your child is not walking with the Lord, it's not your fault. None of us can make any of our children become anything but whoever the Lord has. And even though there are going to be things that you're going to think about, I wish I had done this differently, and I wish I never said this, ultimately what that's doing is reverse sovereignty like, you don't know what would have happened if you had done this differently. You don't know. So celebrate today for the role that you got to play and try to avoid feeling guilty about the way things progressed and what they came to be. It's always all of our faults and none of our faults when it comes to our children. All right, having said that, let's, we're going to stay in Romans. We're not doing a Mother's Day. The Mother's Day sermon already happened. Move Mike in the blue shoes. That's the epitome of blue suede shoes right there. All right, last week we talked about sharing in the sufferings of Jesus in order to share in the glory, right? So that's the, that's the biblical paradigm. You share in the sufferings of Jesus, you share in the glory with Jesus. You share in denying yourself now 
we share in inheriting some of his reward later. So I use this line, in faith we choose to suffer now, by grace we get to celebrate later. So this is what we ended last week. This is an important theme of the Bible. This is an important theme. Now for those of us in the West, suffering is not something we enjoy. And by that, I don't mean people enjoy suffering. By enjoy, I mean it's not something we easily accept. See, there are other parts of the world where there are people who become Christians and they understand by making this decision to believe in Jesus, I am asking for suffering. I remember being in India, my first trip in India, and there was a massive amount of women that were going to be baptized. And they knew that once they go in that water and come up, that red dot, that Hindi dot was going to be gone, not to put back on again. And that dot demonstrated for them a, a, a community of people who believe in a false god. And so they knew that once they come out of that water, that that little powdered makeup dot is going to be gone and they may incur the wrath of their own husbands. So we didn't just baptize women. We laid hands and prayed for them because they knew that by believing in Jesus, they were literally choosing to suffer. Well, all of us have a red dot. We just don't see it. But when you believe in Jesus, you choose to suffer. You deny yourself as difficult as it is. So Paul wants to communicate that reality. He did it in Romans 18. And we're going to pick up on what he says in Romans 8, 19. And going a little bit further ahead. Beginning in verse 19, and I quote, reading from the CSB translation. He says this. For the creation eagerly waits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from the bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. As with the other passages in the Bible, sometimes we just don't talk like this. We don't talk like this. Like when was the last time you talked about the futility of, 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 of suffering and, and, and the, the, the bondage of decay? Hey, how's your day going? Man, that bondage of decay, man, got me in futility. And I'm just, we don't talk like that, right? So let's walk through and kind of unpack what is he saying? What does he mean? All right. In some ways, this passage is straightforward. In some ways, it's not. OK, so here's a straightforward verse 19. Sort of. For the creation eagerly awaits with anticipation for God's sons to be revealed. So here's what he's saying. Creation, which is distinct from humanity. He's not talking about other human beings. He's already been dealing with us. Now he's talking about the world. Creation distinct, separate from humanity, is waiting to see who are the ones that belong to God. 
Who belongs to God? The cosmos has a vested interest in seeing who are actually the children of God, who's really saved, who is the family of God. The cosmos has a vested interest because when that is revealed, then the cosmos will also be restored. You see, the thing that we often forget, particularly those of us who know our Bibles and know the story of Genesis 3, we're aware of the varying levels of suffering that are a result of Adam and Eve biting their fruit, which we're going to look at in just a moment. But we forget that it wasn't just humanity that got in bondage. It's all of creation, the cosmos, because of the sin of Adam, is in bondage. To understand that, we have to go to back when it happened, back to Genesis 3. So here's what Paul is drawing on when he's writing this to the church in Rome. Here's what I believe is in his thinking, because this is the narrative. This is the scene of the crime that put creation in bondage. We're familiar with it, but let's just read a few verses to refresh our memory. And for those who are not familiar so that you understand what he's talking about in Romans 8. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read this pretty quickly because this is a very familiar passage. Now the serpent, the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but about the one, about the, about, see I'm, sitting, I'm trying to do micro machines over here and I got caught. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat of it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. All right, so that's what happened. They were not supposed to eat from this one tree. One tree and they do. Here's what happens. Here's what God says. When God shows up and he asks Adam what happened, and Adam says it was the woman you gave me, Eve said it was the serpent, and God said it was all of you. And here's what he said. He said to the woman, this is Genesis 3:16, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Let me say, let me say something real quick about that, because some people think that birth pains is the result of sin. No, he said, I will intensify. It meant even before sin came in, God's design was that the pain of birth would have some semblance when women have children. But he said, no, I'm going to intensify this pain. So it's not, I'm going to create it, but I'm going to make it more painful. He said, your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. And he said to the man, because you have listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, do not eat from it. Listen to what he says. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It, meaning the ground, will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. So here is the scene of the crime. The first consequence of Adam's sin was that there would be suffering in humanity. One, an increase in labor pains for women, and two, conflict between people. Not just, people say marital conflict. 
They were the only two people around. It was going to be more than just marital conflict. But of course them, right? It wasn't just conflict in marriage. Like every other relationship is conflict-free. No, it's conflict between people. But in particular, in the marriage context, a wife would want to rule over her husband and he would rule over her. The second consequence of Adam's sin is the impact on creation. Now, how creation was impacted, we don't know for sure. But it's clear that sin did not just affect humanity, but instead all aspects of creation. Here's the pattern. Sin causes suffering, both between people and between people and creation. So we can't overlook that. When we overlook that, it causes conflict between man and creation. And then the passages like Romans 8 don't make sense. But in a sense, creation now has felt the sting of the sin of humanity and is waiting for God to reveal who the sons are so that the earth can also be restored. Because once the sons are revealed, then all humanity is restored and then the creation will be restored as well. He's making this clear, like, listen, creation is waiting for this. Look at verse 20. For creation was not, was subjected to futility, not willingly. So it wasn't like creation was like, hey, let us, let us feel that too. It was like, no, 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 no. Creation, it wasn't willingly. But because of him was subjected who subjected in the hope that creation itself will also be set free from bondage to decay into the glorious freedom of God's children. Creation is waiting largely because it was affected by the fall. That's what subjected to futility means. It means it's not going to do. Futility means uselessness. That's what it means when you say something is, is futile. For those of you Star Trek fans, remember the Borg, resistance is futile. There's only a few of us in here, probably two of us. I'm with you. Futility is uselessness, it's purposelessness. It's folly. He's saying that creation is subject to, was subjected to futility. Now think about this for a second. God is saying whatever I intended creation to be, after Adam and Eve bit the sin, creation changed and is no longer doing what I created it to do. It's, it's uselessness, it's purposelessness in terms of what God created creation to do. So think about this for a second. How many times have you seen the most beautiful sunset? I'm a photographer, right? I take pictures. I love sunsets. We call it golden hour when the sun is setting. It's an hour before the sun sets and an hour before it rises. And you get this sort of orange and purple and Sort of light blue haze. You get all the beautiful colors when the sun is out. And that's when you want to do your best pictures. That's, those are the best photos, for, whether it's portraits or just scenery. Man, when that sun is about to set and you just see the sky is just orange and pink and purple, it is incredible. We've all seen that and been amazed. And God is telling us that what we're looking at and amazed by is actually futility. It's actually uselessness in what the world was supposed to look like, the way that sunset was supposed to affect us going down over the water. So the things that we think are beautiful, God says, are not even useful in terms of what I created them to do. 
The most beautiful things that we see, a, a mountain with a, with a nice, beautiful lake there and the, the, the moon and the stars, and we see all these beautiful things. And God says, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. These are all affected because of sin. The stuff that I think is the most beautiful in creation. God said, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is why Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed to us because there's colors you haven't seen yet. You haven't seen the way the water is supposed to look when the sun is the sun. You haven't seen the way that looks. You haven't seen what a garden really looks like. You haven't seen what Mount Zion looks like when God is there. Sin affected the cosmos. So we do experience beauty and joy, but from God's perspective, it's futility. Whatever purpose it had, however it looked, changed. God calls the amazing things that we see futile. Let that get you excited about what heaven's going to be like. That's why people aren't coming back. Kathy is not trying to come back. Barbara's not trying to come back. I'm sure they, they love their kids and their families, but they ain't get to see heaven and be like, yeah, this is a, I, I, I do want to go back, though. Nah, they're going to be like, yeah, I'll wait till you bring them here. The Lord calls me home before I get to experience things with my kids. I may cry as I die, but I'm going to celebrate when I'm alive in Jesus. And I'll just be like, ah, wait till you bring them here. The steak is better. <laughs> the things that God calls futile are things that we call amazing in this life. The scripture says that, 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 that creation was unwillingly, it's unwilling, not willingly. Creation didn't want to lose its own purpose. And God used his authority. He subjected it. God did. God used his own authority to subject it. God didn't have to make the cosmos be affected, but he did when Adam and Eve sinned. You know why? Because the creation was what Adam and Eve were responsible for. So you can't leave the creation perfect if the people are now imperfect because of their sin. You can't let people live in a perfect world when they're imperfect. So now the creation matches the people who were going to dominate and live in it. This is what sin does. It affects more than just if we get along. It affects more than just racism, classism. and It just affects the beauty of a garden, of a tree. Adam's sins had a major consequence on creation and it lost its purpose. But God promises and creation is waiting that at some point its purpose is going to be back. It's going to look the way it was supposed to look. It's going to act the way it was supposed to act. The scripture talks about imagery like the lion and the lamb will graze together. You see, you put a lion and a lamb now, it's a wrap. I'm fascinated. I watch a lot of National Geographic stuff. I watch this stuff all the time. And I'm fascinated by like crocodiles and alligators. Those things, just, they don't even play. As soon as you get in the water, they're going low. Here they come. They don't waste no time. You don't. 
it's a, if you see somebody, now there are people who have pet alligators, but those are in your environment. Go into the, go into South Carolina or Florida somewhere and be like, here, here, crocky, crocky. Mm-hmm. Putting your right arm out there. They'd be calling you lefty the rest of your life. That thing, those things don't play. Can you imagine? But what if, what if God never intended them to be apex predators like that? What if they were supposed to be creatures that we swim with and we get on the backs of crocodiles and, we, and they open their mouths and we get to play with them? Now if you open your mouths, you're playing with them. No. The best we get to see is stuff like the lion whisperer. Well, God will raise these lions up from the time they were cubs and they'll, he'll walk into the wilderness where he led them and they'll come and run up to him years later and hug him and lick him. But guess what? The cameraman is really far back, zoomed in. <laughs> you know why? Because they like the dude. But you, like the sons of Sceva in Acts 17, Jesus I know, Paul I heard of, but you, who are you? They be in a cage. Or they be petrified. Are you, when I watch these videos, you always hear people, are you sure it's going to be okay? It's like, no, no, you'll be fine. Just don't move any sudden movements. But what if that's not what they were supposed to be? What if when we get to heaven, we'll be seeing lions walking beside them, riding on the backs of them? Creation's purpose wasn't to be thorns. Look, look listen to what he says in Genesis 3. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. You will eat of it from means of painful labor, and it will produce thorns and thistles. These are things that are a result of the fall. Things like poison ivy, poison oak, sticker briars, poisonous plants, pollen, tomatoes. These are all things that are a result of the fall. Futility. Get behind me, Satan. Not today, Satan. As humanity is redeemed, so will creation. And this is part of the glory that will be revealed to us. He continues further in verse 22. He says this. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. You see, he's using all these analogies that are connected back to what the, the judgment was against Adam and Eve for their sin. The same link. So you get the creation is in futility as a result of sin. And now he uses this language. He says, growing together with labor pains until now. Right. Let's go back to Genesis 3, 16. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. So you see, he's using the same language to help us understand that Genesis 3 is what caused all of this. He's bringing us back using the same imagery. He's saying Eve's labor pain will increase. But you know what happens after nine months? That baby comes out. And then the love and joy for that child makes a woman forget how painful it was. So much so that they do it again. And sometimes again and again. Some women are like, nah, I'm good. But a lot of people are like, man, after a couple years, man, I'm ready to have another one. They do it again. 
And again, because that pain, there's a pain that's there that's painful. But then there's something that comes after that pain that's more precious than the actual pain itself. And it's the life of a child. Once the child comes out now, it was worth it. What Paul is saying here, on behalf of God in this language, that creation has labor pains. It's been in pain since Genesis 3, awaiting for the children of God to be revealed, and then its pain will go away. And it will love the children of God, it will serve the children of God in the same way that a mom does when she gives birth to that baby and deals with all that pain. As a, as a, as a guy who's had three kids and watched his wife experience that, When women are in pain, they'll tell you the real truth about yourself, too. <laughs> you're trying to have a kid. You're like, all right, let me, let me get some, let me give you some ice chips. You got to breathe. You got to breathe. As if she doesn't know to breathe, right? You got to breathe. You got to breathe. And she'd be like, your breath stinks. Go away. <laughs> that pain brings about a level of truth. <laughs> Creation is pregnant because of the sin of humanity and is waiting to give birth so that it can be righteous and experience the joy that a mother does when that baby comes out. That's what he's saying. This is the imagery he's saying. And he's connecting the same language back to Genesis 3 so that we make the connection. Oh, that's why this is happening. And so why is it waiting for the sons of God to be revealed? Because once they're revealed, once we're revealed, then the restoration of all things occurs and then it changes. Now it can let go. Been praying to God for an epidural. Creation is waiting to become what God intended for us to be, and we can't even imagine what that's going to be like. Whatever sunsets that I thought were amazing are going to get crushed by what we're going to see. They're colors that we can't even understand yet. Remember, Paul said, look, I was caught up to the third heaven and I can't even I heard things that no human beings allowed to even speak about. So when he says, look, when I say that what you was, was coming is better than what you're doing, all the denying ourselves and the fighting to fighting to believe in Jesus and not giving up as difficult as it is. God has said, listen, I'm asking you to trust me, the one who created all of this. I never said it would be easy. I never said it won't be suffering. I never said you won't struggle. I never said that. What I did say is if you hold on and make it to the end, your reward will be something you could have never imagined. And too many people give up because it's too difficult. I don't like this. I didn't like that. Or it's this. I don't want. And it's like, okay. The difference is the alternative. Then this is the best you get. When you give up, this is the best you get. You get to live in a sinful world where anything could happen. I'm looking forward to no coronavirus. I'm looking forward to no bitterness and no sinful judgment, no rape, no racism, no none of that. I'm looking forward to, to worship and seeing the Lord, being in a place where I don't even know what sin is anymore. This is the best you get. It's the best you get if you walk away. Jesus said, listen, I know it's difficult. I'm allowing it to be difficult. You know why? Because I want to see who really believes 
You see, when everything is easy and sweet, you don't know if you, what you, you ain't no test. Everybody believes in God. So when I was a non-Christian, we'd be thanking the Lord for stuff. Get a girl's number, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Get a good bag of weed, hey, Lord, this is, man, this is on fire, the Lord. Is... Like God was up there, you're welcome, my son. Man. You're getting blessed for that. Ain't no blessing for the Lord of that. People can thank the Lord for things that are sinful. People thank the Lord for things that he's going to judge them for. There's no grace in that, but we, the Lord says, no, 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 I'm not giving you, there's things to thank me for, but what I'm waiting, the things that you're really going to be excited about are not going to be experienced in this life. I didn't say it was going to be easy. Don't forget the supernatural casualisms. Don't forget the mundane, just obeying God, the things that just look like, ah, reading and praying, is nah, this is more exciting, cool, but then this is all you get. This is nothing but a bungee jump. Nah, I'm trying to be with the Lord all the time. Because the result after this life is one far worse than this. It's not like you go from here and it gets better. For those who believe in Jesus, this is the worst of it. This is our hell. Then we get to be with him in heaven in eternity. Even creation is waiting for this. Why do you think Jesus said, look, if nobody, if nobody worships me, even the rocks will cry out. Jesus said, I can, get, I can get rocks to sing out to say they're children of Abraham. <laughs> he doesn't need nobody praise him. The trees praise Jesus. If a tree falls and no one is there, do people, does it make a sound? Yeah, it makes a sound. And the Lord hears all of it. Even the rocks can praise the Lord. You best believe people better. Creation is waiting to be redeemed so that it can serve us. Continuing on, Paul says this in his logic. So he's talking about the futility of creation and the fact that the, the creation is groaning, waiting to be redeemed. And then he says this in verse 23 and 22, 25. He says this, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Now, in this hope, we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. Because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patience. Oh, listen to what he's saying here. So he goes from, look, creation is groaning. And this way, you know how creation, you know what creation groaning is like? Earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, blizzards and storms that wipe out areas for a while. Climate change, world getting warmer. All these things are just creation groaning. And he says, listen, not only like that, but, but we ourselves have the spirit as first fruits and we also groan within ourselves. He, this idea of the spirit being the first fruits is another, is another description of Paul saying what you have now is not worth being compared. In other words, the spirit that's within you now, the taste of the spirit you have now. It's just the first fruits. It's just the, it's the appetizer of what's coming. This idea of first fruits comes from Leviticus 23. In verses 9 through 11, here's what God has said to Moses. He said, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I am giving you and reap its harvest, you are to bring the first sheaf of your harvest to the priests. 
He will present the sheep before the Lord so that you may be accepted. The priest is to present it on the day after the Sabbath. So here's the responsibility of God's people to give him the first of his crops as gratitude for giving them crops. But also in faith that more crops are coming. See, the first fruits is always just here's the first of it. It's just a sample of it. I'm giving you a taste of what this is. God didn't say, give me all the fruit. Just give me the first of it. Give me a percentage of it just to give me the first of the taste. Why? Because he knew that he's going to give the spirit as the first fruits for us. Why is this important? Because for many of us, the first fruits of the spirit are the what I call the supernatural casualisms. It's just it's the sense of see, we're always talking about speaking in tongues and doing this and doing that. Even if you do that, those are just the first fruits. First of all, let me just say this real quick, because I didn't say it last time when that question was asked. Speaking in tongues is not the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.4, it said, as the Spirit enabled them. The Spirit doesn't always enable that to happen. Even in the Gospels, it said the power was there for Jesus to heal, which means there were moments where the power wasn't enabling Jesus to heal, so he ain't tried to. The first fruits of the spirit are we get a taste of what it like. This is connected to the groaning. See, here's how this works. God has given us his spirit, right? Those of us who genuinely believe in the Lord, God's given us his spirit. And it's not all like we want it to be, right? We want to be walking around just speaking, doing all this supernatural stuff. But God says, no, no, no. This is the, this is the first fruits. This is just the appetizer. I'm going to give you my spirit. But the desire to glorify God and the conviction that you feel when you don't, that's the groaning that you experience. We groan like creation because we know we're not there yet. We want to be there. We want to be with the Lord. And so his point is that the first fruits, the spirit that we have that enables us, empowers us to actually obey God, to pray to God, to serve God, to give to God, to live for God, to sing, lead worship for God, to be led by God. All these things are a product of the spirit in our lives. It's the appetizer. It's just the beginning. We're not supposed to get all this stuff now. It's the beginning And we groan because the spirit in us knows, man, this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not what it's supposed to be like. A groan is is essentially when it's it's, it's like indicative of pain and discomfort when you groan. It's a it's a displeasure. But he says it's inarticulate. It's not always a word that you feel, but it's that sense of like. It's that emotion that you feel welling up when you just are tired, tired of fighting, tired of it being the way that it is, tired of seeing the world and the church divided over the dumbest things as if there's no heaven, as if nothing exists after this life. The groaning is not always in words that you say, but it's just that that sense of how you feel, that frustration, that sigh, that acknowledgement that this is not right. And there's a part of you that wants it to be right. And the only part of it that wants it to be right is the spirit within you. It's the first fruits. God commanded Israel to do what he knew he was going to do through Jesus later. So he said, give me your first fruits and I'm going to get the spirit as a first fruit later. I'm going to give you the appetizer. 
Paul is describing this, though, as a normal. When he describes, listen to what he says. He says, not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits also grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the, for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So there's this sense where those who are genuinely Christian want to be godly and also want this fight to be over. Resisting sin is tough work. This is why people just give in. People make excuses to give in. Oh, I had a tough day. Or I grew up in the church, so that stuff, I, I, I would have believed something else if I did that. Grew up there. Huh? Then explain all the people in the Middle East who didn't grow up, who live in Muslim countries that are now believing in Jesus. Explain how the, even the Christianity is exploding in the country of Iran right now, where people, when they renounce their faith, they will be killed. They didn't grow up in no Christian homes. And yet they recognize the beauty of Jesus. You're not a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home. You're a Christian because God said you belong to me. Growing up in a Christian home has nothing to do with nothing. There's no guarantee for that. You're a Christian because God said you belong to me. And we fight and persevere, not because of the way we grew up, because of who it is that we want to see. I'm not fighting because of where I came from. I'm fighting the way I'm going to. That's the spirit in us. It groans. But the way Paul describes it, he describes it as if it's a normal occurrence. Not only that, but we ourselves who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves. He describes it like it's an everyday occurrence. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to describe it in the form of a question. Do you groan? Do you actually groan? Do you desire to have the, the fulfillment of the sonship that you have in Christ completed? Is that, is that part of the burden for you of being a Christian? Or is it just you're more aware of what you have to give up? You see, if you're more focused on what you can't do, then I don't know if you really believe. Christianity is not, what, it's not about what you can't do. Especially as you mature in the Lord. It's about, man, you're disappointed at what you can't be. You're disappointed at where you're not at yet. Not what you gave up. This is, why, this is why in the wilderness, when, when, the, when the Israelites were like, man, them meat pots in Egypt, man, we missed them joints. That's why God was like, huh? You missed being a slave in Egypt? Over a couple of sandwiches, some beef and bread? Like, that's all it takes? All right, fine. I'm going to give y'all quail meat until y'all get tired of meat. I'm going to give you bread from heaven. Like, that's, that's all it takes. That's how simple it is. That's how easy. There's a lot of Esau's out there that would just give up their birthright for something petty, like a meal. That's all it takes. So you'd rather be slaves? Believer, you'd rather be a slave to sin because you enjoyed some of the pleasure of it than the pleasures that God is promising? Oh, man. Do you groan? Do you groan? Is there some longing, some desire in your life to be with God in eternity? Do you want to go to heaven just to escape the world and temptation of sin? Do you even want to see Jesus? I know Christians that talk about heaven that don't say nothing about seeing Jesus. What's the point of going to heaven if Jesus isn't there? That's who you going, that's who you believed in here. If, I believe, if you believe in Jesus here, then you most certainly want to meet him there. 
you grown? And do you groan for the right reasons? Do we realize what's happening? What the Lord is doing to us in this life and what's going to happen in the next life? Here's what 1 John says. Here's what 1 John 3 says. He says, See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children, and we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Man, we forget that. So many believers want to be accepted by the world. Like, what are you talking about? What are we talking? I mean, don't get me wrong. I ain't saying, listen, what should offend people is truth, right? We shouldn't be. I know right now in the church, there's a lot of people thinking they're contending for the faith, but they're actually just contentious in the faith, right? (laughs) Truth is supposed to be offensive, not us. But we also shouldn't expect people to like, like us and stuff like that. That doesn't mean we want people to not like us. Oh, I don't imagine walking around like, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to hell, like T-shirts on, right? That's not real winsome. Jesus didn't do that either. The Pharisees did that. But he says, look, verse 2, dear friends, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. Listen, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. This is what is happening, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters. It says we'll be like Jesus because we'll see him as he is. Think about this for a second. There is something so powerful about seeing Jesus as he is that we automatically become like him. That's how crazy it's going to be to see the Lord. We're going to become like him because we'll see him as he is. That sounds like a superpower or something. And it says this, and everyone who has this hope and then purifies himself just as he is pure. And there's the groaning. The purification, the resistance of sin, the obedience to God, that's part of the groaning. The purification, the denial of self, the taking up your cross, whatever language you want to use, the led by the spirit, walking by the spirit, all these things. The resisting sexual sin. The resisting fear of man, the resisting bitterness, all these things, the putting on against just putting off, all that stuff is how we purify ourselves, how we take up our cross, how we deny ourselves the right to give in to sin because we've been hurt by someone else or because it's been a long day. This is the groan. It's called theologically the already, not yet. We've received it already, but we experience it not yet. So it's by faith that we believe these things. Then he says this in verse 25 or 24. He says this now, 24. Now in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is not hope because who hopes for what he sees? Now, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with patience. Here's where God is. I love the masterful nature of God's word and how he does things. Here's where we realize that faith and hope are two different things. We talk about them as if they overlap, like they're synonymous. They are not. Faith and hope are two different things. Here's Ephesians, here's Hebrews 11.1. Here's what Hebrews 11.1 says. Now, faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen, right? So it contrasts those two. Faith and hope are not synonymous. See, by faith, we believe it to be true, 
And in hope, we wait for it to happen. See, faith is the noun, belief, and hope is the verb. We persevere. We wait. By faith, we believe it to be true, and hope we wait for it to happen. Hope is the process, the outer workings of our faith. It, it reminds us to hang in there. Don't forget what you believe. This is why he says, look, faith is the reality of what is hopeful. So I believe it. I believe it's real. It's reality. But I'm waiting to see it to be true. So I believe it because God said it. Now I'm going to wait for it. Faith believes, hope perseveres. These are different realities. Faith helps us believe it to be true, and then hope says we're going to persevere until it becomes sight. So when you lose hope, you lose the ability to wait and be patient. And that's usually how it happens, actually. People don't lose faith first, they lose hope. You lose hope first. You start, you start getting tired of waiting for this thing to happen. You start getting tired of resisting and taking up your cross. You don't want to wait. You're not, you're not yet, you haven't out yet said you don't believe in Jesus yet. Now it's just you don't believe in the process of waiting for the promises of Jesus to become true. You start losing hope first. You lose that patience, that perseverance. And then once you give that up, then I don't even believe in dude no more. I don't even believe in him anymore. This is where our salvation, our broadening, we broaden our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We were saved by grace through faith to hope. We were saved by grace through faith to wait. And so the Lord says, I'm coming back or you coming home. This is where it gets real practical here. And he says, hope that is seen is not hope. Why? Because it's here. The wait is over. <laughs> it's already here. It's already here. It's already here. I remember, I can't remember who said this. I don't remember who this was. But there was a, a, a baseball team. It wasn't the Nationals. It was a couple years before the Nationals won. They won the World Series. Oh, you know who it was? It was Mark McGuire years ago, St. Louis Cardinals. Mark McGuire, they won, the, I think they won the, Super, the uh, World Series. Was it maybe, I don't remember, it was somebody, I think it was Mark McGuire, won the World Series. And then a couple days later, they interviewed him and another player. And he insightfully said, you know, you work all your life and you work all season to win the World Championship, the World Series. You get the trophy, and a couple of days later, you ask yourself, wow, that's it? He was like, that's it? And it's rare that you hear athletes say that. And he was just like, yeah, a couple of days later, and it's like, wow, that's it? The parade is over. You did it. Life goes on. Worldly accomplishments, life goes on. Biblical accomplishments, Jesus rewards for eternity. He had enough sense to be like, man, this is, wow. I got it. Not hoping for it anymore. And then he realizes, like, wow, this is, it was cool. I'm glad we won it. Yeah, I'm not downplaying it. But, like, on one level, I'm not, I'm empty again. I'm empty again. Now, I'm not saying every athlete feels that way. But on some level, it's like life goes on. 
Life goes on. Hope is about anticipation. Who hopes for what he already sees? You don't need to because it's right there. I'll never say to my kids, hey, kids, do you hope that I come home today? Papa, you right here. You right there. What you talking about? Well, who got a hope? You here. Why is this important? Because we're not going to always get what we want. And we're not going to always get every tough question answered. And it's not going to always make sense. Because it's not supposed to fully. There's a hope that we wait for. And faith tells us it's true. Hope reminds us to stay in it. Stay focused. Faith is the noun. Hope is the verb. It's okay for us to not understand everything. It's okay to struggle. Jude says, look, Have mercy on those who doubt. You know what? The Bible does not tell you to do what God doesn't do himself. So if we're to have mercy on those who doubt, so does the Lord. Like I said, he knows what we don't know. He knows what he's not told us to live in this life. It's okay to not have a better answer to hard questions. People act like if someone asks you a question about Christianity and it's a good question and you can't answer it, that somehow something's wrong with Christianity. It could just be something's wrong, which is you just don't know the answer to the question. What? So if you ask me for directions somewhere and I don't know where to go, then something's wrong with the place you're going to? (laughs) Does the place no longer exist because I don't know how to tell you to get there? No, it's just sometimes, listen, listen, there are things about God that he's not going to reveal. And it's okay to say, that's a good question. I don't know. I remember one time talking to this guy who was a five percenter, a Farrakhan in him. He was with them. He was trying to convert me. We was having this back and forth. And I, was new, I was new in the faith. I, I wish I would see him now. We'd have a good conversation. I was new in the faith. And he was trying to tell me some stuff about Christianity. You know, they got all these insights about Christianity. So he was going back and forth with me. And every time, and there were questions he asked, I said, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And so every question I had for him, he knew the answer to. And I said, bro, like you're actually increasing my faith in the Lord right now. He was shocked by that. He said, huh? I said, because the God you serve told you everything about him. The God I serve says you got to wait to learn some of these things. So if I, if you, if I can, you can answer every question about the God and do all this stuff, then you don't got to have no faith in him. My God requires faith because I don't know some of this stuff. I don't know why the Lord works in mysterious ways. Your God has explained a little too much for me. <laughs> Thank you for the convo. That was the right. That was it. I was new in the faith. I'd love to see that dude again. I got some smoke for him if I see him. Hope is the lost art of Christianity. It's the forgotten necessary. It is the lost art. We were saved to wait until that salvation is experienced in full. In our life, everything's about convenience and immediacy. You know what those do? They contribute to a lack of patience. In the culture we live in, we got phones that do everything. 
I mean, I've said this plenty of times before, but when your phone doesn't work, when you get frustrated immediately, right? Be frustrated. Wi-Fi doesn't buffer like, oh, man. He would be all I may be sitting because the Wi-Fi is buffering. And not even because you got some important business proposal, but you're trying to finish watching this show on Netflix. Wi-Fi is buffering, and you, you sit it against everybody, irritated at your family, your friends, texting other people, complaining about the Wi-Fi buffering. But when that joint gets fixed, oh, man, excited, right? No, Christianity is about hope, faith and hope. We believe it to be true, and then we wait for it. And God doesn't say, because you're waiting for it, I'm going to make it happen for you sooner. Than, no, he's wait, you're going to wait for it. You know why? Because the blessing that God has for those who actually have hope and wait for it is going to be far greater than what we had to give up while we were waiting. Hope teaches us to wait patiently until we're redeemed, creation is redeemed, and we're with the Lord. And this is God's reminder to us God's reminder that creation groans, we groan because we're waiting. We are hoping for what we do not see. We're waiting. We're persevering. Faith says believe. Hope says persevere. May that be the description for all of us who truly believe in Jesus. Continue to put on hope, brothers and sisters. Remind yourself, because I'm telling you, it's the hope that you're going to lose before faith. Should I know people who've, who've lost all hope, but they still believe? I know people that believe Jesus is real. They just ain't tripping off living for him. They just don't care anymore. Like they've just lost hope and waiting for the promises. But they don't do that. And they think by not saying he's not real or something, that's somehow enough. Mm. Now, because what you've said is 1 John 5, 3, the commands are too burdensome for you to obey them. And that's a denial of Jesus. And Jesus said, if you deny me, I will deny you. He didn't say if you are faithless, which means if you sin, if you're faithless, he remains faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13, for he will, not, he will not disown himself. But if you deny him, he's going to deny you. He's worth the hope it takes. So let's groan together because the groaning, the disappointment, the longing is proof that the Spirit is working for his glory and our good. Let's pray. Father, I pray that, that whatever was said today that was directly from you, that was really from you, that you would burn it in the hearts of those who believe in you. And I pray that whoever was said to you that is true, that you would burn it in the hearts of those who have yet to believe in you or who have rejected you, whatever that means. Father, you sent your son to become a human being so he could have a lived experience as a human being. Hebrews 2, 14, 18 tells us that that he became like his brothers in every way. And that because he was tempted, he's able, he is able to help those who are also being tempted. His lived experience being tempted helps our lived experience in being tempted. But Father, there's a hope 
portion of our faith. Yes, we believe that when we die, we'll go to heaven. We don't really doubt that. Well, our biggest struggles is not in believing in you, but having believing in the process in which you bring us through. We don't want to wait. We want to be married. We want to have children. We want to have this promotion. We want to have this house. We want to do these things. We want all these things that we want, and they're not bad in and of themselves, but you don't promise any of those things. But what you do promise is that if we hope, that if we hope, we wait, that what we gave up while waiting is nothing compared to what we'll receive for hoping. Father, I pray today that, that, that what was said was plain and simple to understand so that we can continue in our faith. Lord, I thank you for all moms today who are here and who are watching, who've labored and through many toils and tears and laughs and all the different things, many hugs and kisses and disappointments, and I pray that you would refresh them today. For any disappointments, Lord, I pray that you would not let any of them wish they had done this differently or that differently, because in and of itself, that doesn't mean that there'll be a different outcome, at least not on their children. Father, I pray that you would give us all the the grace and the strength to, to hope, to, to have the verb of waiting and hoping for what we do not yet see. It is that is where our maturity lies. So may all of us groan in anticipation of the restoration of all things. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, for sending your spirit to be in us so that he can do the work in us that will allow us to hope until we get to see all of you. For your glory and our good, in your name we pray. Amen.